This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. The security industry as a whole and the businesses that are being, quote unquote, protected, I mean, it's it's really just a farce. People have this understanding of businesses having good security or they entrust them to have good security. Oh, this business won't be hacked. I trust them with my credit card. On what grounds? You know, why do you trust them? Have you had, I mean, is there any reason to trust them? There isn't. It's just because they said they could do it. They're a big business. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of financial power. They have a lot of exposure. So we trust them. The reality is that none of these businesses are really secure. We have yet to encounter a business like an Equifax or like a Home Depot or any of these retail shops that we couldn't breach with relative ease. The businesses that tend to be more challenging to breach, we still get in, but the businesses that tend to be more challenging to breach are the ones you know, that have to do with storage, you know, storage of information, because they're really required to care about it, or communication to a degree. You know, they really, they're required to care about it. But businesses that serve the consumer they're generally really vulnerable. And the vulnerability is partially their fault. I mean, in Equifax's case, gross negligence, you know, the word just keeps on coming into my head. But it's also the fault of the security industry. And here's why. The majority of vendors that do provide penetration testing services or security services, they sell snake oil, right? And case in point, antivirus solutions. If antivirus solutions really worked, if they really prevented malware and ransomware and all this and that, there would be no malware and ransomware. They only work partially, but they market themselves as saying, hey, you know, we solved this problem. Intrusion prevention systems, they don't prevent intrusions. They just prevent what is detectable. And by the way, what is detectable are most of the commercial off-the-shelf tools that are used by penetration testing firms. So they buy technology to protect their networks. And then they go and they hire a vendor, a commercial vendor, who doesn't have real hackers on staff. They effectively have glorified script kids on staff that use third-party tools. This other vendor comes in and tests the security of their network. But the defensive technology they bought is designed specifically to defeat the commercial technology that's being used to test them. So they pass the flying colors. Hacker Joe comes along. Hacker Joe is not going to use any of these commercial off-the-shelf tools. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a hacker use a commercial scanner <laughs> you know, to breach a network. Hacker Joe's going to walk right in the front door. And then just like all the businesses, thousands of the businesses that have breached, they're going to say, well, I don't get it. How are we breached? We get tested all the time. Well, the reason why you were breached is because you didn't get a real test. The reason why you were breached is because you didn't do what was actually required to make you secure. You know, so kind of rewinding, going back into people, people assume that these businesses are doing the right thing and they're not. Part of the reason why they're not doing the right thing is because some of them just simply don't care. They focus on budget. They focus on just the, the political aspect of security. Another part is they really do care, but what they're being told and taught by the security industry is just a bunch of marketing FUD, right? You have to do it this way, you have to do it that way, but these things are not actually effective. I mean, in our experience, there are only, what, I think there are three technologies out there that have ever slowed us down or even given us a run for money. One of them is produced by a company called Silence. Um, so Silence is a business that we've followed for a while. We have no affiliation with them. But their technology works, and it's a brand new way of doing things. It works very well. The second one is Carbon Black Bit 9. And I know that Carbon Black and Silence look at themselves as competitors, but I look at them and I say, wow, these guys really can complement each other. Those two technologies alone make the job of breaching a system with malware or exploits 
very, very, very difficult, almost impossible. So then that leaves you with the social avenue, you know, social engineering. Well, the third thing that you can do is you can deploy internal honeypots, but low interaction, not high interaction, it's a waste of time, low interaction honeypots, things that are just there to detect a breach and detect lateral movement. You deploy those three solutions or two of those three solutions, you're going to make the job of a hacker like, like my team, the guys in my team, very difficult. But most people don't have that. What most people have is they might have carbon black, they might have a silence technology, or they might have a honeypot. When you have one of those solutions open or just one of those solutions deployed, we're going to leverage those other gaps. So a lot of depth for a simple question, but yeah. <laughs> Hmm? Yeah, so traditional hackers these days, it's not like in the 80s and the 90s anymore. Hacking the scene has become much more criminalistic and much more about making a buck, right? And so you've got to think about making money as efficiently as you can with as little risk as possible. So as a hacker, if you go and you breach a network and you notice that they have these kinds of things deployed, you're going to think, well, why would I go after this retail company when I could just go after this retail company because they don't have it? You still, you, know, you still get your payout. You maybe charge them more per credit card, or maybe you sell the network to somebody else that wants to use the resources of the network to do something. But you can still find a way to, to make your money off of that kind of a breach, and you don't have to spend quite as much time doing it. A great example of a soft network would be the Equifax network, or even Target. The way that Target handled their breach was just as silly. And actually, speaking of technologies that have proven to really miss things that are sold as end-all, be-all solutions, FireEye. FireEye was used by both Target and by Equifax. And FireEye, in their favor, they did notify Target about a lot of the activity that was going on. Didn't prevent it, but they notified them. And Target didn't really do much of anything about it. But they completely seemed to fail detecting a known vulnerability, right? The stress vulnerability, which affected Equifax. So how can you be this incredible solution that does everything and fail <laughs> like that? You can't. I mean, so... Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter at all. We hear that all the time. And then months later, they come back to us because they've been breached. In fact, there was a, a hotel chain that I can't name. <laughs> they came to us and they said, hey, we need to have a test. And we said, great, here's the price for the test. And they said, sorry, that's way too much money. I mean, it was, it was not a lot of money. And then they went and they found another vendor to deliver a test. And they said, hey, we found this other vendor that'll do this test for us for $5,000. It was a $5,000 test. And we said, you know, that is many, many times less than what you should be paying given the volume of work that has to be done to test you properly, but okay. About four months after their test had completed, they suffered a breach and they made the news. And we reached back out to them and they refused to, <laughs> you know, they refused to, to respond to us because it was sort of like a, and I told you so, but they, they were of the mindset, right, where they didn't think that they would be breached because it had never happened before. They had no indication that it was going to happen, so they felt safe. They were using, I remember them saying, we're using antivirus technology. We're using intrusion prevention systems. You know, they felt safe. They shouldn't have felt safe. Yeah.
It really depends. In some businesses, it's the C-level executives. In other businesses, it's the security staff that are feeding false information to the C-level executives because they're concerned about their jobs. They have this fear of losing their jobs. So in many cases, there's this ego, there's this ego, ego kind of game going on where it's, well, I've got to look good and I can't afford to admit this because if I admit this, then that's a big problem. In other cases, it is executives that frankly just see security as a nuisance. They don't understand what security is, right? They look at it and they say, well, I don't want to spend all this money because we could put this money someplace else and a breach will not happen to us. It's never happened before. There's no indicator that anything like this is going to happen. I'm not overly stressed about it. Uh, it is. So, and You can't. And that's, that's the hardest thing. I mean, we have tried. We have spent you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing campaigns and, and, and all sorts of things trying to educate people, not market, but you know, trying to really provide people with real information about this. And it just doesn't sink in. We have had detailed conversations with businesses that have later suffered breaches saying, this is what you need to do. Here is why you need to do it. Here are the measurements, you know, the metrics that show the workload. This is your exposure. You know, we, we break it all down for them in the sales process. We show them exactly what it is that's going to happen during an engagement, why things cost it. And they just, doesn't matter how much you, you teach them, they don't care until it happens. And it's truly unfortunate. Of the few customers that we have that really do care, they either cared from the get-go because they understood the risk associated with it, or they came in saying, you know what? I don't know what I don't know. And I, I want to know, I want to learn. And when they come in with that kind of a mentality and they say, I want to learn, we can provide them with the truth and we can provide them with facts and evidence and information. And if they're willing to listen to that and learn from that, then they can begin to make the right decisions, you know, with their own security. Always worried about keeping current with IT? Save Your Labs is an IT and web services firm that cares for your business and team. Save Your Labs solves problems so you can focus on what you do best. Prepare for 2018 with a free IT assessment. Just follow the link in our show notes and enter code SAVIOR, S-A-V-I-O-R. Right. Sure. So for them, we would just, we'd get them the fact sheet and say, hey, let us come in and let us diagnose the workload. Let us see how much work actually has to be done. So, so we get in, we literally diagnose their entire infrastructure, which is a long process, but we do this because we want to make sure that it's, it's an accurate quote that we provide them with. And then we say, hey, based on, so <laughs> so that's kind of our secret sauce. <laughs> uh, and, yep, and the, the reason why, I'll tell you right now, the reason why we don't talk about it, it's not because we're afraid of talking about it. It's because what we found historically is that the competitors that do the vetted scans will say anything. 
And so if we come in and we say, so so if we explain this, they're just going to say, hey, we do this, and it's going to detract from actually doing it. And then, <laughs> you know, but the example or what I can tell you is when we're done with the diagnostics, after we've actually come in and we've done this work, we generally know more about a customer's network than they do. We know about literally everything that really exists within that environment that we're looking at. And we're able to do really good sampling and really good reduction right, through sampling of of, of work to come up with pricing that is not necessarily competitive with what everybody else is doing, but with pricing that is very real based on what actually has to be done. Interestingly enough, in our experience, our prices often come in less than some of the larger companies and obviously more than the scanner shops, but they come in less. An example, we were doing work with a part of the government of Trinidad and they had received quotes from other vendors and the quotes were all based off of this understanding that they had 64 external IP addresses. And the quotes are coming in anywhere from $100,000 to you know $60,000. The best competing quote that they had as far as price was concerned was actually a $60,000 quote from a, a firm here that sells in Massachusetts that sells scanning software and they also do penetration testing. And we came in and we looked at them. We said, well, yeah, you're about 11 grand. And we gave them a proposal for 11 grand and they immediately came back. They said, no, you, you made a huge mistake. We said, how do we make a mistake? They said, well, all these other vendors are coming in at this price and you're coming in here and our budget is this, but you're coming in at a fraction of a budget. And I said, well, you know, there's no mistake. It's because you have of those 64 IPs, 11 are actually running, right? And these 11 map out in this specific way. So here's the workload. And they sat back and they said, okay, this makes sense. So why is everybody else charging us so much? And my answer was, well, they're charging you because you told them they have 64 IPs. And they said, well, yeah, but they asked us all kinds of questions about our environment. And I said, they do that to look good. They don't actually use that information. They just say 64 IPs times a dollar value, a dollar per IP and a number number per IP, and there's your price. And so they kind of sat back again. They said, so we're basically being tested to have a whole bunch of non-existent things tested or being charged to have a whole bunch of non-existent things tested. And I said, yeah, that equates to like zero seconds worth of work and you're paying the money for it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Tax surface map. Yes. Depends on, on the customer. So almost all, I'd say 95% of our customers are multi-year customers. And so what ends up happening is you, you engage us on year one. We come in, we deliver the test. We deliver a free retest after you fixed everything. We maintain you throughout the year with basic checkups effectively. Then when you come in on year, yeah, when you come in on year two, we do the same thing. We measure your progress. So you do repeat the process because networks change, networks evolve. But through the multi-year, you actually end up very quickly, as we've seen, reducing your overall risk and exposure profile because you're continuously being exposed to something very real. So yes, it's something that they come back and they do repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't say assessment. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't. Absolutely. And it's because of the rate at which new vulnerabilities surface. 
So when you know you look at Windows, for example, six months ago, you could have a fully patched Windows system as of six months ago. That fully patched Windows system from six months ago is not going to be up to par today. Uh, and it's because vulnerabilities, right, really, what are they? They're programmatic errors, programmatic mistakes. So when developers make software, they make a mistake or they rush through something because they need to meet a specific deadline. When they make this mistake, the mistake is something that we can exploit or something that we can leverage, right, to facilitate a penetration. As systems grow older, those mistakes become uncovered more and more. Researchers spend time looking at systems, finding these mistakes. All computer systems will always have mistakes. All software is fallible. And so if you patch something six months ago, and then you give hackers another six months to look at finding new system flaws, new vulnerabilities, new mistakes, they're going to find them. They're going to uncover new ones. And if you don't patch currently, you don't maintain your current patches, you're not going to be eliminating those current mistakes. So, so security is something that is continually evolving. It's something you need to continually test, like penetration tests you need to do. But you also need to stay up to snuff with regards to the defenses and the latest kinds of attacks that are coming in. And not just the attacks that you hear about in the news, but the attacks that are really focused on you. Because the attacks that you hear about on the news or you read about in articles and things like that, those are generic. Those are attacks that have affected a large number of people. But every single network is different. And I can tell you firsthand, every single network that we breach is breached differently. So you have to also understand how it is that you're going to be breached. And you do that again by continually doing realistic threat penetration testing and by also paying attention to what's going on in your environment. So yeah, it's a, it's a continual process. Well, <laughs> patching is probably the number one thing. If you look at, I think it was the Verizon data breach incident report from 2015 to 2014, when it actually used to be a really good report, they pushed out some nice numbers on this. And it was 99.98% of all breaches back then were attributed to the exploitation of known vulnerabilities that had been in public domain for over a year. 0.01% were attributable to zero-day exploitation, zero one percent So when you look at those numbers, it tells you a lot. I mean, that's very telling. It says, hey, people just aren't patching. And we know people aren't patching. You know, another tangent, but ridiculous story, our infrastructure, you know, water, power, all that, they're afraid to patch because they think that if they patch, it's going to render a system unstable. I remember having a debate with this guy. I won't give his last name. First name is Jake, and he runs a major water treatment facility. He's responsible for the security of this facility. I said, Jake, I said, you're running systems, Windows 95, Windows NT still. You need to make sure that you do something to mitigate this, get newer systems, update, patch, whatever. And he said, no, no. He said, I can't afford to patch. I said, why not? He said, because patching might make something unstable. And if it makes something unstable, nobody has water or people get poisoned. I can't patch. And I said, well, yeah, but anybody can just walk in the front door with these vulnerabilities and they can do the damage that way anyways. And he said, yeah, but to me, that's less of a risk than patching because I've never had that happen before. <laughs> and I said, wow, it's, um, it's scary, but patching is something that has to happen. You can't because you're dealing with emotions. Some of them do, but they disable that. A lot of people disable that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly.
Yeah, absolutely. If it's installed on your computer, you should absolutely install the patch. So iMovie is, is a great example of a helper application. Maybe I send you a file somehow and you never use iMovie, but this file requires iMovie to open it. You say, okay, I trust the source because I built up a good trust relationship with you. When you click on the file, the file may be a specially crafted file that will exploit a known vulnerability in iMovie. And then I've your system. So we, we call any application that exists on your computer that can be used to, to open something that is sent to you. We call those helper applications. And those applications are, are major targets. I mean, a great example is Adobe Acrobat. You look at the zero-day market and you look at Adobe Acrobat, can sell an ideal Acrobat vulnerability for two dollars $300,000. Uh, so there, I mean, it's, it's worth quite a bit of money and it's quite a valuable target. So yes, patch everything if you can. No. No, you should authenticate. And it, it seems kind of weird to hear people say this, but or to hear me say this, everybody says, what do you mean? But if somebody sends you a file and you don't have some kind of a, a cryptographic signature or some way of authenticating that person is who they say they are, don't open the file. If you have a friend that sends you something, send them a text message, you know, a side channel through your phone. Send them a text message and say, hey, did you just send this to me? And if they say yes, then go ahead, safer, because you verified that it came from a trusted source. But if I know that that's your friend and I'm Hacker Joe, I might pretend to be your friend and send the file just to breach your system. Likewise, there's malware out there that will mimic friends. Way back in the day, right? The I love you worm. That <laughs> was a great one. Didn't use any exploitation other than exploiting humans, you know, but it was a basic piece of malware that sent a love letter from you to the people on your contact list using Microsoft Outlook. And I, I forget the scale of the infection with that thing, but it was millions and it was because people would receive those emails from a trusted source. They wouldn't verify that this content was real. They would open the attachment and boom, they'd be infected with I love you. And then they'd send it to the next 40 some odd people on their list and just kept on going. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit PaulParisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.